I think being out here in the wilderness changes you. God, I hope so. There is evil in the world. I know that very well, but do you think it must be everywhere? Hello? I'm looking for the hostel. You should not be here. Hair of red, mark of blood, child of until you get you gone. I met someone, little bird. Strong arms, full lips, a voice so soothing and sweet. What happens to them, to the women? I love the way he talks to me. Most go missing. Some go mad, but, you know, by the time he's finished talking to them, they want to go with him. You mean like a serial killer? <laughs> you are cursed more than you know. Tear you up, feed you back to the mountain! No one stops the murders from happening, and they they want to kill me because I know. I will not let anything hurt you. And so you die upon this mountain tonight. Mothers keep us with an ill cup. We don't say his name. Mother Mary oh let us in. They call him the gentleman. Mother Bridget bring fire to us kids. Jarfly man began cannon. Mother Easter raised us from the soil again. The love talker. Mothers keep us where the devil come. Maybe coming out here will show me who I really am. The Love Talker is a folk horror fiction podcast launching October 25th. For more information, visit thelovetalker.com. Keith here. When I started making the first episode of, I had no experience doing podcast interviews, especially the technical side of things. It was a lot of confusing steps, setting up double enders or making do with low quality recordings on whatever app I could figure out. But it got a whole lot easier when I started using Zencaster. Made for podcasts with Zencaster, it's so easy to do everything. You and your guests log in with a browser and record studio quality sound and up to 4K video, even with an unstable connection. And it's an all-in-one deal. You don't need a lot of different tools or services. With Zencaster, you can create your podcast all in one place and distribute it to Spotify, Apple, and other major platforms. If you've ever thought about making your own podcast, go to Zencaster.com slash pricing and use my code TFEO and you'll get 30% off your first month of any Zencaster paid plan. I want you to have the same easy experience I do for all my podcasting and content needs. It's time to share your story on Zencaster. Hey, it's Keith. If you're a lover of audio drama like I am, you need to know about the Apollo app. Apollo is designed around audio drama, so finding your next story is easy. You can always listen through Apollo for free, but there's also the Apollo Plus subscription. With it, you get ad-free listening, exclusives, and other bonus content for over 40 shows. And 70% of the revenue on Apollo Plus goes to those creators. Join Apollo Plus through the Apollo Podcasts app or apollopods.com. Hello, and welcome to the first episode of 
a podcast about audio drama and the creative process. I'm W. Keith Timms, audio drama producer and podcaster. In this show, I listen to the first episode of an audio drama, then have a discussion with the creators about their show, their methods, struggles, and successes. Today, we're discussing the first episode of We're Alive. We're Alive, a story of survival. Chapter One. It begins. Created by Casey Wayland, We're Alive is a long-running zombie apocalypse story. First launched in 2009, the story follows Army Reserve soldier Michael Cross, who suddenly finds himself trapped in Los Angeles as zombies roam the city and the world falls apart. He joins with other soldiers and survivors in an attempt to band together, fortify a safe haven known as the Tower, and discovers that there are other deadly threats in a post-apocalyptic Los Angeles. In the 14 years since We're Alive launched, the show has had two spin-offs and a sequel called Descendants, now in release, with more on the way. We're Alive is part of the Rusty Quill Network. I spoke to KC remotely from his home in California. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself as an artist and a creator and writer and the creator of We're Alive. I'm kind of a weird one. Uh, I got started pretty young. I was one of those. If you ever remember the the show Dawson's Creek, uh-huh. I was sort of like that quintessential Dawson. Uh, I would I would get my friends together on the weekends and we would shoot a horror movie. It was a good way to, you know, have fun with the friends, maybe, you know, get a relationship with the girl. You know, it, literally, that show was kind of my my young adult life. Got it. Um, and then I kind of ventured off and kept doing more things. Um, I did some stage work. I moved on into college, got into film school and started developing my writing and dove right deep into the arts. And uh, weirdly enough, in the middle of my college venture, 9-11 happened mm-hmm. and I ended up going in the military. And I ended up getting a job as a broadcast engineer that taught me a whole lot of skills. It taught me radio, television, a lot of the technical sides to this industry. And then I came back and I finished off my degree uh, in writing and directing. So I've had this weird like shift between the two things for a long time. And all, all of it has been around you know creative storytelling. And I've had a lot of interesting adventures in the military that shaped my perspective and storytelling and kind of was a lot of the inspiration for We're Alive. Just just little things along the way that I've discovered a new avenue that's opened up to me and just kept venturing in that direction. What kind of experiences have you had in the military? I was deployed to Iraq in 03 to 04. Um, so that was a big influence on what it's like to be a person in a very high stress situation that there actually was a physical inspiration for We're Alive on the deployment. They had the Al Rashid Hotel, which was this place where they would house soldiers to be able to secure an area that was like, mm-hmm. oh, okay, at a base of a, of a hotel you could secure. And then you could fill the tower with essentially soldiers. Yeah. And I was like, oh, that's the that's the best zombie plan I've heard. <laughs> you know, this is great. 
And interestingly enough, the bad things that ended up happening in real life happened a little bit in the story. It got rocketed. Uh, we used that as part of the story. And it was a really interesting way of saying, okay, how how can life inspire art and, and use it in a constructive way? And the military in general has been a very interesting character development tool because you get to meet people from all over the world many different walks of life. And for me as a storyteller, it sort of opened up the world of what else might be possible. Yeah. Did you say that 9-11 prompted you to join the military? Is that what sort of set you off on that path? It did. It, that, was a, that was a big part of it. I had just started college and I was in a very big crossroads in my life because I was like, one of the things they tell you early on in film school is you have to write what you know and yeah. pull from your own experiences. And I was... I was Dawson from Dawson's Creek. I had no experiences aside from my relationships with other people in my small town in California. And I was like, okay, well, this would be a great way to get out there in the world, see places, try and better myself at the same time, serve my country. My family had military heritage in that mm -hmm. direction. And and honestly, college was getting to a point where I was worried about how it was going to end up paying for the end game of it. So it was, right. it was so right. many reasons at once uh, that kind of said this is the way to go. You were in film school. So how did you come to make audio drama from that? So that came from out of a massive failure. I can okay. honestly admit that. Uh, and it, it's one of those things where, you know, you, you learn and you live. And at the time, before I ever did audio drama, I dabbled in a lot of different things to see what I enjoyed. I actually did like documentaries for a while. I did a bunch of narrative shorts and some horror films in film school. And the thing I actually landed on the most was animation of all things. And hmm. I used to I used to do a lot of animation. I loved it because it was the limitless storytelling. If you could create it, you could make it happen. And so I got really heavy into rendering, modeling, rigging. I did motion capture. And I will be the first to admit that I was I was decent, but I wasn't amazing. And it was very arduous. Like I spent, I think, about three years on my senior thesis, which was about 18 minutes long, which is a lot for animation. Oh, sure. Yeah. But it looked pretty terrible when it was done. <laughs> I there was some elements that was looked really good at times, but other times it didn't. The one saving grace out of the whole thing was that in order to do the animation, I did a VO session with all the actors gathered up in a circle inside of a Foley stage. And that right there was sort of the groundbreaking event that sort of spiraled me into the audio drama world, because yeah. when I listened to the project, it sounded so much better than it ever looked. I had an idea of doing the serialized zombie drama for a long time for television, but I also knew that the actual possibilities of that and pitching out were alive, and I, I tried that, is not a very easy thing to do. No one will believe that you can actually do something until you prove that you can do it. It's very hard to find your way into the industry and have someone believe that you can do this. You know, a lot of people, I think you put together a pitch deck or you come up with a, you know, a pilot and you try to shop it around for a while. And when you, you don't get hits, you put it on a shelf and you do something else. What made you want to turn this into an audio drama? What made you say, I'm going to stick with this? It's one of these things where I knew the story was really good. I knew that for me, I was always a long form storyteller. I was that weird kid in eighth grade that wrote a 125 page epic because <laughs> I, I just loved being able to have the time to spend with characters and make them grow and have fun with it. But at the same time, 
I love the idea of creating something that the audience can interpret. That's why I didn't want to make a book because you have to channel it into something creative. And I thought audio drama would be a, a great way to do that. And at the time, actually, I graduated in 2008. And similarly to what we have just been going through, there was a strike uh, oh, back right. then. Nobody right. was hiring anybody. And I saw this big gap in television at the time of like, you know what? There are no really great survival horror uh, serial shows. I I have the great idea of one. So I started outlining what I wanted to do and putting together like pitch package stuff and didn't get very many leads at all. It was kind of disheartening. But then I realized... I've done the storytelling from the animation side and, and the the recording of that cast group. Why don't I just make my own? Maybe if we make it as an audio drama, someone will pick it up for television uh, because there's nothing out there on TV. And then The Walking Dead came out yeah. maybe maybe about a year and a half later or so. And right. then I was like, well, maybe I'll just <laughs> stick to audio drama. It's kind of hard to compete with the with The Walking Dead. Yeah. yeah and. It's it's actually happened ever since. It's like people are like, how are you different from Walking Dead? And I tell them, but it's also one of these things where, you know, on, on paper, they just see zombie and they don't realize right. that, oh, there's a lot that could be under that that's very different from what's being done. Let me ask you, since you brought it up, what is sets you apart from The Walking Dead or let's say the sort of the zombie story in general? What do you do differently with We're Alive? I think part of the thing we do in We're Alive is that, one, it's very character-based in that it kind of has a little bit of the faith and humanity side, mm. whereas a lot of the other ones are very pessimistic. It's yeah. the cooperation of people is actually the detriment of usually a lot of their storytelling. And so the camaraderie of these people, the strength together is the reason why they are able to win out and actually succeed in certain ways. And also we tow a line that's very interesting in the storytelling side of like the title We're Alive reflects the main characters, but it also reflects the infected. Hmm. The infected in our show, they're not just shambling dead corpses that are physically impossible. Like if that corpse is missing a muscle group in their leg, they're not walking. <laughs> so it's like there's an anatomy. There's a science behind the whole storytelling of it. In a way, our infected, quote unquote, are their own species and how they react and how they evolve. And essentially, it's it's almost like a, a parallel between us and them. And there's blurred lines of, of what is good and what is bad. So the struggles between there and makes it a fun, entertaining kind of science fiction storytelling. Yeah. The thing about zombies is, you know, the zombie stories are not about the zombies, really. I mean, most of them anyway, I'll say that much. It's about the survivors, right? You yeah. know, but, you know, the title The Walking Dead ref doesn't refer to the zombies. It refers to the survivors, mm -hmm. and which is different than We're Alive, right? Yeah, lit almost, the, almost can canonically opposite. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Why don't you tell me a little bit about We're Alive? And you've also had spinoffs and you've had you got a sequel called Descendants. What do you think about We're Alive? What do you think of? Well, it means a lot to me because almost my entire existence is poured into the story in some capacity. Like, I think every single character in, in a sense embodies some experience that I've gone through, some relationship that I've had with somebody. So it's been a lot of channeling of my own like life experiences and kind of an ability to also to release trauma too. When I first came back from overseas, I was dealing a lot with certain elements of PTSD, still am. And I'm able to channel it through the story and through my writing. And admittedly, I've seen a therapist about certain things and talked over certain things. And one of the things is like, oh, you have to journal. And personally, I'm not a big, I don't like journaling because it, yeah. it has a, 
I don't I don't know. I like having the filter on it of putting my own things in my story and letting them come out through characters that, you know, is that me or is it not me? It leaves the, yeah. the question open. And I think that's a little bit more my style and, and being able to create something that maybe even other people can find strength from. And it's interesting, too, because I've had some soldiers who, you know, and some other people who are not soldiers who have dealt with certain things in the past. And they said that our story has helped them through some of those events. For me, that's what I love about We're Alive and the storytelling that we've done is it's a way to to do a lot of things. It's a way to maybe forget your life, maybe look at the hope of a world where whatever you put into it, you get out of it. It's it's a fantasy in, in so many regards. And I think it's for me, it's one of these things that I've just sort of enjoyed that kind of storytelling. It has a, a maybe a deeper meaning to myself or somebody else. So you do spend a lot of time on the sound quality and the combat sounds and that kind of thing. Talk to me about your approach to sound design. Yeah, I try. I mean, especially with the experiences that I've gone through, I kind of want to use that natural sound. And for us as a human being, like I've delved into this a lot, but our relationship with sound is a lot more intimate than people sometimes realize. Mm-hmm. It's uh, our our sense of sound and smell triggers certain things in our brain of recall that other things won't like sight, not so much, but sound and smell are just super, super powerful. Simple things like in the very first episode, I actually like went to our old Army Reserve base. I recorded the sound of them putting in the notepad to get the accuracy of that <laughs> um, and even climbed all over the Hummers. To be able to get them that natural sound because the the realistic side of how these things sound like Hummers are fiberglass. People think, yeah. oh, they're metal and all this. And the sounds of you going through there, the um, the glow plugs that have to be warmed up to start a Hummer, the how they lock them, all these little details. I was like, oh, let's hit all these really great pieces of hyperrealism so that if, say, for instance, a soldier was to listen to this, they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, this this feels like it's actually real. And I was a big fan of just how can I make this feel like you are part of the storytelling and feel like you're inside the story. And uh, it kind of has been this thing that and my my sort of trademark that I've been building off of is the theater for the mind is, you know, right. we're creating a story. And if you fully believe that it's real, you're going to be an active participant and you're going to be part of that storytelling process. The attackers seem to have no hesitation as a... What the hell is going on? That's only like 20 miles from here. Do you think it's going to reach us? Hello? Michael, it's Lieutenant Angel. Where are you? I'm at school right now. What's going on? We need you to come to the unit right away. Is this about what's on the TV? I'm stuck in traffic, so I have no idea. I've just got a phone call from the commander and now I'm calling you. How long till you can get here? Um, maybe 30 minutes, but I don't have my uniform. Don't worry about those. We have a couple spare in the unit. Just get there as fast as you can. All right, I'm on my way. The first episode is called It Begins. As the title implies, this is the beginning of the outbreak of the zombie apocalypse. So the outbreak begins in L.A., and we get to meet the three main characters here. Michael, who is the protagonist, and he is a sergeant. He is currently a reservist. He has experience in Iraq, but now he's going to school. And he gets called up when the outbreak starts happening by a lieutenant whose name is Angel. Angel has gone through officer training school, but has not had a whole lot of field experience. In fact, Michael has far more experience in actual leadership. 
And then we also get to meet Saul, who is a specialist, who's kind of this braggart kind of womanizer <laughs> kind of guy. You don't have to name any names, but I'm guessing that there, you've, these are all types of people you have met in service or at least in life. Is oh, that- oh, yes, that would be that'd be very accurate. And and weirdly enough, like I've gotten a lot of messages of like, I, I really don't like this, this character. I don't think it's really realistic. And I'm like, you have no idea what might really be out there, do you? Um, yeah. And especially in the military, there are genuine pieces and slight quotes from certain members of the military that are in this, uh, especially early on when I, they were very fresh in my brain. Michael, Angel, and Saul all rendezvous at a local arm, army base or a reservist base, but then they quickly find themselves on their own. There's no chain of command. Everything in the city is breaking down in terms of services and communication. And there's a little power struggle because Angel is technically the highest ranking officer, um, but Michael has more experience and generally better ideas. What the hell happened to you? You look pale. You didn't see it? Weren't you on the 5 2? Someone please tell me what the fuck that was. I came off the 710. What Those was... things ran onto the freeway. See that shit? They tore that car apart like a tin can. Poor angry bastard. I actually kind of feel sorry for him now. What the hell are you talking about? You have no idea what's going on. No, would somebody please explain to me? You're the one who called us in. Why don't you tell us? No one told me a thing. All they told me was to call my squad and get my ass down here right away. I heard about the rioters on the radio, but why the hell would they run under the freeway? Those were not rioters. They attacked a guy who was honking at me on the freeway. They weren't attacking him. They were eating him. They were what? I wasn't far behind Michael. They were taking big chunks and shoving them in their mouths. What? Why would they They were like animals, and they sure as hell weren't like us anymore. Not with those eyes. Then what were they? Zombies. Come on, Saul. This isn't the time. No joke, Sarge. What if they are? Think about it just for a second. Okay. okay the, the mental hospital is not too far from here. What if what you saw was just a breakout? We were probably brought in just to take them down. Oh, you didn't see them. What the hell do you know? Hey, don't talk to me that way. I'm still an officer, and you're just still a lowly specialist. Hey, hey easy, Angel. I got this. Saul, come here. Well, how can he say that shit? You know as well as I do that the hospital is like ten miles from here. There's no way to get out. Hey, I agree. I agree. I don't think so either. I know he's a pain in the ass, and once he sees one of these things, he'll change his mind. But right now, we can't lose our heads. We still have a chain of command, and he is still in charge. I know. I'm sorry, Sarge. You don't tell us anything about the outbreak itself here at the beginning uh, in terms of like what it is or where it came from. Talk to me about dropping us right there at the very beginning. Narratively speaking, why did you want to make that choice? A lot of the times it has to do with the perspective in which you're limited to. It's it's almost like I kind of like the Cloverfield end of things where, mm. you know, unless your characters are directly involved with these things and the chances of that are very slim, there's going to be a lot of unknowns. And even even in these sorts of situations where they are disaster prone, the characters may not know or they may not ever find out. The little bits of information about how everything happened kind of slowly unfolds throughout the story. And even some things that we are still going to answer in future volumes, because it's all about perspective and it's all about you know, you wouldn't know. And and also it sort of let us dabble and experience more in the world and in the shoes of the characters rather than getting into all the nitty gritty details at once about, you know, it, this is why it happened. And that air of mystery is a really 
big element of storytelling. And it's also one of these these things about, you know, if you were trying to give out too much at once, it's almost like poison. You have to mm-hmm. give yeah, if it's a big if it's a big hook, you got to give it little bits at a time. Otherwise, you're going to lose your audience. But a little bit at a time, they'll start to digest and accept versus if you just dump it all at once, like, oh, here's this is why it happened. Why start with the military here? Well, that was definitely because of my perspective. Mm -hmm. The idea of what it would be like in this sort of situation. Like, I honestly was in many ways thought about what would actually happen. And people like, oh, the government would get together really quickly. They would respond fast and everything would be great. And I'm like, no, (laughs) no, no, they wouldn't. That's that's really sweet to understand and think about. But the reality is once a disaster hits, if the military structure starts to fall apart and where's your paycheck coming from, you're going to get deserters. And also the military response in certain things is not fast. If it happened as fast as we have to happen in the story, honestly, it would start to structure would crumble too fast. You've already said that a lot of the experiences you you had in Iraq and in the military uh, make it into We're Alive. How do you translate that mood that you experienced there while in Iraq to an analog in your story? The big thing for me was just seeing it, how it worked in real life, seeing how this hotel that they did secure the bottom floor and they could fill it with people. And that was a really big inspiration for the idea of, oh, the, the best zombie scenario. And then all the little details started to come into play of like, okay, well, who's going to be there? Who would you get? What are some of the struggles of doing that? And and I didn't really know it at the time, but I had two senses to it. One was if this was ever going to be a television show, I knew the production sense of things. And I'm like, you know, you got to repeat using sets. You have to keep that in mind of the, the cost of everything. And I'm like, well, if it's if it's a tower, if it's an apartment building, that's easy. And then later on, I realized that especially in audio drama, you want people to be able to identify locations and be able to lock onto something. And that pre-existing idea that everyone knows what an apartment building would look like and be able to imagine it in their head was a really good storytelling element to it. The storytelling of this is part of my way of expressing how people react in these extreme situations. And it's interesting, like sometimes I've gotten people who are like, oh, you know, in these, these high tension situations, everyone, there, there's not going to be a lot of arguing. There's not going to be. And I'm like, no, no. What else do we know? We know they go after people. They sure as hell aren't no slow moving zombies either. So they're quicker than us. Got some strength, too. The way they were bending the bars. Wonderful. Headshots seem to drop them like stones. Is that all we know? Yeah, well, the rest would just be assumptions based on what we've seen in movies. I still don't believe this. Are you listening to what you're saying? Zombies? I mean, the dead rising? Who said they were dead? Whatever! What would you have me do? We're dealing with something we've never come close to experiencing before. All I'm trying to do is reason some way through this. Something they aren't able to do. Now who's being presumptuous? How can you be sure that they can't reason? Because we left the key in the door. All right, if we're going to make it through this, and I have every intention of doing so, we're going to have to stick together and use our heads. When everyone's fighting for their opinion and their lives are behind it, you would be so surprised at how bitter and how petty things can get when people's lives are on the line and, and what when the, the, all of their nature is truly at stake and, and what it means for them. And especially if you start mixing civilian and military. And, and so that's that's where the drama for me came from. And and seeing how people reacted in these situations and how they would react in real life. 
I get lots of comments. One of them was like, oh, in, in these situations, no one would be trying to hook up. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, oh, ye of little knowledge. In these high stressful situations, people kind of revert back to some very base instincts. And it's like, today could be the last day. I might as well hook up today. So 2009 was when We're Alive came out. 14 years. That is a long period of time to be working in the in the business. <laughs> We're Alive. And then you also had two spinoffs. You had Lockdown and you had Gold Rush, uh, which are standalone stories within the world of We're Alive, right? Yeah. I love telling other stories and other perspectives. And I wanted to find ways to introduce new listeners to our world without then having to have a lot of pre-existing knowledge. I have kind of done well with that, but I also failed with that a bit in that it never really did what I wanted it to do. But all those other side stories, in a way, are actually just continuations that help build the uh, the storyline and propagate the bigger story going forward. But we actually are doing another one called Scout's Honor, which is sort of like going back to our roots and you don't have to have any pre-existing knowledge of the world and actually uh, gets to follow kids on Catalina when everything goes down and goes back to the roots of what survival is and, and how these kids have to stay together and work together in order to survive and get off the island, what that would mean. And, and when you're a kid and you have to grow up really, really fast and in a way is sort of modeled after seeing the youth in war zones and how they yeah. have to survive. And and how all of a sudden, like, they can become very resilient and strong very quickly because of what they get exposed to in a positive and also a negative way. You also have a sequel called Descendants, which takes place a generation after the outbreak. It's a whole new world. It's a whole new language. <laughs> it's a whole new society that has sprung up in the wake of everything falling apart. It's fun for me as a storyteller because one of the things that we get locked in the original series with is the perspective. The whole first series takes place within about a year. And so you don't get to get the perspective of how everything would go. And there isn't the time to let society regrow and repair and repeat the mistakes that we do. And Descendants lets me do that. It lets me deal with what would happen with the next generation that would grow up in this world and how they would deal with it and also get to see some perspectives of things because there's been time. What do you struggle with? I am very aware of this, but I wear my heart on my sleeve. I get kind of vulnerable to certain things. Uh, admittedly, I, I sort of have an anxiety disorder from certain elements of experiences that I've, I've dealt with. And sometimes it ends up creeping into some of the review process that some mm -hmm. like I, I, wa I want to be everything to everybody in terms of an audience, but I also know that's impossible. Sometimes I'll get critiques and it'll be really hard to, you know, get back to work sometimes. Like I'll get distracted or I'll, it'll hang in my head and Certain words from certain people may linger. And then there's sometimes you'll get a review and you're like, it's like this person shouldn't be a writer. They should be a waiter. <laughs> That's <laughs> that was one critique I got one time. So having to deal with that is very, very hard. So much of the storytelling, especially from a writer or creator, it's you. It's just yeah. like there's you on the page and it's it's your blood and sweat and your loss of sleep and Everything, all the sacrifices that you make to try and make something like this work, no one can really know all those dimensions. And so sometimes when you get derailed, it's hard to get back on. How do you get back on? Sometimes time. Sometimes I'll yeah. sleep on something. Sometimes I will work through it. Sometimes I will channel it. Sometimes if someone gives me a, a critique about something, there, there's... Like Saul is sexist and and that kind of perspective of that bravado of military that he had, I did tone back a little bit as as we went along. 
And so I, I try and find a balance for it and work through it. And at the at the end of the day, one of the things my, my therapist said is, you know, sometimes when people are giving you the harshest critiques, it's not always about you, but it's also about them. And so yeah, that's true. Yeah. That helps a little bit. It does. And maybe some people don't enjoy it, but then you get to see all the ones that do. The weirdest thing that's happened from our story is we've developed people's relationships. There are children that have become born because they met us through the show. Oh, wow. Um, so I look at that and I'm like, hey, you know what? We have made life. What have you done? <laughs> I, I think you could say that we're alive by Almost any conventional measure of success is a success. You've got spinoffs. You've been going for 14 years. It's a very popular show in terms of listeners. How do you personally measure success? Is that part of it or is there something else? The logic person inside me says, okay, look at the numbers. Yeah. Look at how many hours and years and impressions you've given to people over time. And is that success or the ability that I've been very blessed with a lot of ways to be able to continue to create in this medium and and grow as an artist. And like I started out with essentially nothing in this medium. I had a script. I had 50 bucks for pizza, a, a couple travel stipends for people, a lot of very dedicated actors and poured my heart and soul and worked myself to the bone to make it happen. And I've been able to turn that into, for the most part, a career. Like I get to teach at a university about this medium and every little step that I've been able to hit on this ladder has been, I think that's how I've been able to mark my success is the fact that I'm still able to do it and still look to the future. And because the, the thing about a ladder is there's always another rung. You've got a new spinoff you told us about, uh, Scout's Honor, that's coming. But you've also got an, a totally different project I think you're working on right now. and That's uh, Slayers, is that right? Yeah, so um, Slayers was a partnership with Audible UK because they're like, hey, we have the actors, they're in the US. You've dealt with directing a lot of different actors like this in this medium. You know how to, how to do it. You can optimize schedules really well. This is a big, big project to be able to make this. And, and oh, by the way, it's also in Atmos. So here's an entire <laughs> new technology that you're going to have to figure out and use in an audio drama medium. And also the program is eight hours long. It's been an, an amazing adventure being able to work with some of these actors. And I was a big fan of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, watching it with my wife, and we really enjoyed it. And so it was really fun to do something in a, in a medium, in a story that we were already familiar with. There's a really famous David Bowie interview where he talks about going into the water and going out so far out there that you feel uncomfortable. And that's when you know you really are exploring and doing something special. And that was definitely this project. So you've been doing it for 14 years. Do you see yourself as an audio drama creator now? Are you still wanting to work in film? How do you feel about the 14 years you've spent in this industry? I think it's great. Um, I think I've had a lot of fun. I've got to you know explore so much of this. The trick of it is, that audio is somewhat limited in, we'll just say it, financial dollars. Sure. To be right. able to create the things that I've wanted to create is still tough. So the funding behind these projects gets very, very tricky. And even as I'm looking towards the future of Descendants, like we're probably going to end up doing like a Kickstarter campaign to help fill in the gaps. But I look forward to the days when perhaps being able to create in this medium gets a little easier on the financial side. And I can support more artists who want to do this kind of thing. And 
production is a machine and you need to be able to feed it. You know, the dollars and cents of it have to make sense. Part of me is also excited of like, you know what, maybe I should just write a book (laughs) and not have to deal (laughs) with any of the production elements of it. But then I know in the back of my head, I'm like, you know what? I do love creating the story to be interpreted by an audience. And it's all about content and storytelling at the end of the day. (laughs) So we run out of here, fight through zombies that are, let me check. Yep. Still outside the door, carrying ammo, rifles, and bolt cutters all the way to the motor pool, being chased by the things that we know are faster and stronger than us and want to eat us? Yeah, sounds about right. Hey, as long as I get the saw, I'm in. It's fine. We'll need an automatic weapon anyway. Angel and I can carry an extra rifle, but any more would really slow us down. Here, put these on. Do we really need to wear uniforms? You wear this? And people will know who you are and won't think twice about coming with you. There's a lot that this uniform represents that we will need out there. Hey, he's right, Saul. Come on, let's put him on. All right. We can do this. What starts as a military action story evolves over time. There's over 70 hours of content available in the We're Alive universe, exploring a variety of genres and styles. The show is not only a good example of how to create an original take on a familiar genre, but also how persistence and dedication can grow an audience and a world. You can listen to We're Alive on most major podcast platforms or see our show notes for more information. The first episode of is written and produced by W. Keith Timms. All the opinions expressed in this show belong to the people who expressed them and not necessarily to anyone else. The theme song is Mockingbird by David Mumford. This show is a production of Alien Ghost Robot Creative Media. If you want more information, want to sign up for our newsletter, or are an audio drama creator and would like to be on the show, visit our website at thefirstepisodeof.com. We're happy to be a part of the Audio Drama Lab, a Discord-based resource for audio drama development and networking. Check it out at audiodramalab.com. Keep telling stories. It's the only way we're going to get out of this mess. Until next time. I know you got questions about him. Where did he come from? How did he do all those things they say he did? Was he a terrorist? Was he crazy? Was his skin really blue? Well... I'll tell you what I know. I was there with him, driving through the back roads under the stars. I was witness to wonders and miracles, and to the darkness that's coursing through the veins of our country. He came to fight it in his own strange way, but no one leaves that fight unchanged. Not even Rael. People ought to know the truth. And I was there. The Book of Constellations is a down-to-earth sci-fi road trip. It's audio fiction, and you can find episodes at bookofconstellations.com or wherever you get your podcasts.